Film Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Hawaii legislation, which, as far as we know, is the first state-level legislation ever to directly address basic income. So that declared support for economic security for all Hawaiians and set up a basic income working group to study various possibilities to provide economic security through the entire state. But beyond the Hawaiian legislation, there's actually legislation at play right now in California that wouldn't just study basic income, but would actually provide a universal income to the entire state. And it's being done in a way you might not expect. It's actually through the reform of the state's cap-and-trade system. So we had a chance to talk to State Senator Bob Wykowski, the author of the bill, about what's in the legislation and how it connects to basic income. Also, make sure that you stay tuned until the end of this episode, because we've actually got some ways that you can get involved in the push here for this legislation. All right, Senator Wykowski, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. To start with, can you just tell us what's in your legislation, SB 775, and what would it do if it were enacted? Okay, it's um, it's the goal of 775 is to actually make or help California achieve its reduction in, in carbon emissions that are set forth in SB 32. And this is to reduce carbon by... Uh, 40% of 1990 levels uh, by the year 2030. So we were on track to reduce our carbon emissions by 33%, but that next 7% to go from 33 to 40 is a big chunk. So this is this start, roots its the po- policy in, in science and good public policy of how we're actually going to achieve it. And it and it sets has some uh, elements to it that are attractive to many uh, many people. It sets a price collar. Um, so it says this is the floor and this is the this is the ceiling and it increases the price of carbon as we go through the next next decade. It um, it creates pots of money to uh, or pots for the money to go in for people who continue to pollute because the reason you get money is people uh, the polluters uh, say it's better for me to pay a price for each a metric ton of carbon that I release and. Um, so they pay it into a, a, a fund that, that gets collected. And what the bill does, it divides it into three pots. One is for a cli- climate dividend for, for distribution to people. Another is for climate research and resiliency work. And another is for uh, uh, infrastructure. I don't make a determination of how much goes into each pot. I'll do that. And then we have a border adjustments because we realize that there are some companies here in California that if we make our refineries improve their emissions, there's other refineries out uh, across the state or in the world that would be at a uh, competitive advantage. So we do a, an adjustment and we have a safety valve in, in all of these that if a courts decide that the adjustment is against the Commerce Clause, that we would move to what we know as a free allowances for those manufacturers or businesses. So they would become equal from a carbon um, perspective with their competitors that are cross-border. So what motivated you to author SB 775 and why introduce it now? Well, the uh, AB 32, which is our landmark uh, climate uh, legislation that was passed by my friend and and former colleague Fran Pavley, it 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 gave the Air Resource Board, CARB is what people refer to it as its acronym, um, 
till December 31st, 2020 to design a, a cap and trade program and to implement it. So we know that that program ends on December 31st, 2020. We've been sued several times um, and by the Chamber of Commerce because they're saying that there are auction is the equivalent of a tax. And even though the courts have said it's not, and there's the cases um, that say that we, we realize that we need a two-thirds vote so that any tax, any fee, any auction is sort of protected from attack um, from uh, folks. And I'm the, you know, the chair of the Environmental uh, Quality Committee in the state Senate. So I've seen a lot of bills in the three years I've been in the Senate that want to spend money on programs that are great for their communities or great to uh, reduce um, uh, or to spend money with with uh, that we collect from from the auction, and then we passed uh, SB 32, and we have splashed onto the world or continued to be on the world uh, uh, stage where people are looking to California for for leadership. But it's SB 32 is declaratory. It says we will meet a 40% reduction. It doesn't say how. And SB 775 is the mechanical part about how we're going to achieve it um, and what what we're going to have to do and as the world watches us. I think there's more emphasis on California now given what's happening or not happening um, in Washington, D.C., and there's just an attention of how are we going to do our fair share to reduce uh, carbon emissions in the world. Yeah, it certainly seems like more folks are looking to California these days for progressive leadership across the country since there's a vacuum in other places on that front. Right. I mean, I was at, I went with part of the Senate delegation to Paris. And while it was important uh, that the uh, administration was there, uh, Obama administration was there, many people were more eager to talk to the California delegates on what we were doing to, to, to meet our targets under AB 32 at that. This is Year and a year and a half ago, and with the under two MOU that Governor Brown had initiated, and was at the time very fun. Each day, more and more municipalities or provinces were signing on to the agreement that they said, regardless of what our country is going to do, we're going to make that commitment in our region and our municipality. So there's interest in around the world, and even in the United States. You know, we have linkage in our auction system. And this SB 775 allows for other jurisdictions to link to our our, our cap and trade uh, program. You know, the, the, the buy-in, if you will, is that you've got to have similar goals that you want to reduce your carbon. We can't have somebody that says we're going to reduce our carbon 1% by 2050 and say we want to be in because obviously the price of that at the price in their jurisdiction would be quite low compared to the the rising price that we anticipate under SB 775. Now, the part of SB 775 that's likely most exciting for our listeners is the climate dividend fund that it creates, which returns a portion of the revenue from the program to all California residents via regular cash payments. What motivated you to include the fund in the legislation? Uh, logic. Uh, I, you know, I participated with uh, uh, a couple of economists from Stanford. Uh, Michael War and I were on a panel, but Danny Cullenward, um have developed the the nuts and bolts of of this the policy that we've I've taken and put it into uh, 
775 is, is if you're going to raise, if you're going to improve your environment, right? And, and let's just say we don't raise any money. Let's say the, the polluters actually change their, their uh, machine or their apparatus and their, uh, they're going to um, reduce pollution and that's going to have better outcomes for people who live by, for all of us, but certainly people that are, that are closer. But we, we realize that that's going to raise the price of gasoline or price of cement or price of processed food. So, so how are you going to have the public uh, respond to that? And, and one is, you know, I'm a state legislator, so I can say, well, I'll spend the money on do-gooder things that I think that are good for you. More transit, more buses, electric vehicles, charging stations, yada, da, da, da. Um, and, and we realize that the consumer at least is going to be hit by some of these prices. It's very volatile. I mean, we the price of gasoline now is lower than it was when we started our cap and trade program. So there are other elements that that affect the uh, price of uh, cap and trade. But we realized that you would help the consumer on those pressure points as the prices were going up by returning a dividend. And it took me a while to get to the quarterly dividend because. You know, as I thought about it more, I realized that my background is in bankruptcy. So I have an acute understanding of people who have cash flow challenges. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and the idea that, that it, let's, just, let's just say the, the dividend for an individual was $200 a year. That 50 bucks for somebody, the lowest income uh, folks, is a big deal every three months versus a millionaire. They don't care about that. But but what it does is, is it, there's tension there because remember we want the polluters to change their to not pollute so then they don't pay but if they don't if they do pay we want that you know we get that money to go in and you realize that that smooths out the impact that will occur and alternatively many of the people that are low income they don't have a big carbon footprint because they're not getting on an airplane you know, leaving Marin County and flying to, to someplace all over the world, they're just stuck. And some of them are on public transportation. So what it does is really, on one level, helps helps them out. Now, again, it depends on how successful the, you know, um, the auctions are and the, and the program is. But this, this is the only legislation that provides a dividend. And even the discussions that have been going on with the oil companies, they, they don't have that dividend element in. So... You said that that you got to this through logic. I'm wondering if your colleagues in the Senate see that same kind of logic. So, what kind of reception has this got in the Senate? The dividend idea. Well, they think they see the benefit of it. I mean, the the I quite frankly, many more Republicans have come and talked to me about the dividend because it's sort of that's their idea. Is you know, Robin Hood take it from the, if you're going to pick up uh, taxes, give them back to the give it back to the people, and they like that in concept. And you know, they they have some challenges about the programs that we the money that we've used for low carbon fuel standards or environment uh, uh, spurring the uh, the growth of electric vehicles. So they they understand that, um, and they also understand that once you start a dividend to individuals. It's hard to take that away from them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so you set up the you set up the program. Um, I, again, I think that there's a balance that will go in because some of the the other leaders who have created these programs think that they're doing, you know, giving 25% of funds that go into transportation to low income neighborhoods is really allowing you to go into a hot spot or some area that's particularly affected not only from greenhouse gases but from other particulates that, that have adverse health in, income, 
outcomes. The other thing is that you have to um, not be so paternal, I guess, if, if, if I'm being open and critical, is that you, you hope that the individual, while they're free to spend the money however they want to, because some people are just going to continue to drive that 15-year-old Dodge pickup truck because it's a lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. They're not good at. They're not going to buy the brand new Honda Civic, which will get six times as many miles per gallon or whatever the number is. But you hope at some point, as the dividend increases and the price of gasoline increases, and and again for the lowest income people, there's a way to make that a wash because of. But not for the low income person who's driving a pickup truck because it's a lifestyle decision that they've made. So the state of Alaska has a universal dividend fund that's been around for a couple decades now, their permanent fund, which also pays out equally to all state residents. Uh, theirs is on an annual basis. And a report just came out in the last week that found that a considerable majority of Alaskans, over 80%, feel that the fund both helps the economy and improves their quality of life. Is your hope that the dividend fund created by SB75 will have a similar effect in California. Oh, plus the compounding effect is that while Alaska pays people to extract oil and create more pollution elsewhere in the world, this is going to be uh, taxing the polluters and and having at some price point having the polluters decide that they would rather improve that machinery or their apparatus so that they reduce it so that we have better outcomes from uh, health. Um, I, I think you know. It's it's as you go in the out years under SB seven seven five and and you raise the price of of carbon um, and those decisions become more difficult. The the pot of money grows substantially. You know, again, at, at some time when you reach a hundred dollars um, per metric ton for the polluters, uh, sometimes even at then. It's economically, for, it's better for these people to pollute. Certainly today at $13, it's, it's, it's easier for them to pollute. So, so you, that dividend would grow substantially from the first year. Um, you know, and again, I read something from one of the economists was talking about $479 per person is sort of what they thought at the, is sort of the end, what people would get. Well, you figure a family of four, uh, you know that's a that's a that's a chunk of change on a quarterly basis that that helps you with all those little incidentals that rear their their head up as you go through life. Yeah. So speaking of the dividend growing over time, many supporters of universal basic income see dividend funds as a way to establish a system in which people would would get regular checks or mm -hmm. re regular allowances from the government that could then grow over time. So have you considered whether the climate dividend fund might be expanded in this way to be something closer to, if not a, a true basic income, something along those lines? I guess I would say first things first. I have a big, <laughs> I have a, of a big two-thirds hurdle to get up to just implement the, the, the cap-and-trade extension. Um, but, uh, and again, I'll go back to that friction. In my, in my perfect world, there would be no funds raised from cap and trade because everybody would be changing their polluting and there wouldn't be they would they would reach that nirvana which would be no pollution and 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 everything in the world the birds were chirping and the butterflies were flying um all that but i realize i'm realistic so um I think it's a piece of it. I mean, I think certainly for Californians and for other people who are supportive of uh, universal income, you would say that, you know, on these out years, if it's 
500 bucks, that's not enough to live on a quarterly basis, but you look at it and you say, okay, this is, you know, $2,000 a year. Okay. That's, that's something that's not, again, you're not living, but if you've got Medi-Cal, if that's, that doesn't get taken by the president or you have social security, if you're, if you're uh, elderly, it's another little building block that we can talk by, talk with. I would hope that we don't pollute so much that it becomes a basic <laughs> income for folks. I mean, I mean, that's the source that at least this fund, but it, it's a model for um, um, other advocates to use and a framework that you could work, work on. Again, it's a, uh, it's interesting, provocative for, uh, policymakers right now. Uh, again, I would I would say the the other two buckets of basic research, I don't think that people who are getting a dividend are against research. And given, again, what's happening in Washington with no research going on, then as California's looking at, at itself as being world leader, we may have to initially do more basic research just because, you know, the none is getting done. And we're at one of these critical stages where you would love to think somebody to invent some next great deal or some enzyme that would eat up CO2 or NO2 or whatever, you know, that you can put it on a tree or, uh, again, I don't, I don't know, but I think for advocates, it's a building block. It's a piece of the, of the wall, not the whole wall, but a piece mm -hmm. of the wall. Um, and given the fact that it's tied to polluters, you don't want it to be the whole wall. Right? Yeah. So which organizations are supporting SB 775 and are there groups out there that are opposing it? Actually, there has been no direct opposition because, uh, interesting thing, the, the oil producers, the alternative, if you don't have a cap-and-trade program, and this expires on, in 2020, then we go to a program where we just have direct regulation, and they call that command and control. So that means the air quality manager walks up to your factory or your cement process and, you, and say, you're emitting this. We're not in attainment. You have to reduce it here. So that is that creates spikes in prices. I mean, it, or shutdowns and a lot of displacement. So the planners on the on the side of the businesses would rather have a a, a gradation of what the price is so that they they can look at it. Um, so they're not opposed to that. I mean, besides you guys. Um, <laughs> and supporting it. We've got the Citizens Lo Climate Lobby, the Coalition for Clean Air, Courage Campaign, Green Lining Institute, the Union of Concerned uh, uh, Scientists and Physicians for Social Responsibility. And the list is literally growing every day. I think people are hearing things that the governor's talking with different groups and, and, and we're getting bombarded with phone calls and, and emails to our office with folks that are saying, hey, this 775, when are you moving it? What's we, we like it. We like the policy. I mean, I get that there's the political side that I have to deal with, but, but you know, I'm an old-fashioned state senator that once to, I had a public hearing on, on uh, cap-and-trade so we could hear from Mary Nichols with the Air Resources Board. I mean, she's a little protective. She created this current one, so she wants to protect her baby. So when I come in and say, no, your baby had, <laughs> your baby stopped being a baby on December 31st, 2020, and this is going to be the new, this is the new preteen that we're coming up with on in 2021. <laughs> and she says, but no, I want my baby. I says, no, this is the new preteen, but you can still control it. You're, you know, <laughs> you're the regulator. You're the regulator, but we have that. So, um, it, that will, those political considerations, 
that's that's unavoidable. It's the sound public policy and trying to educate my colleagues and educate the 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 advocates on both sides about what is the what's the bill going to do, and and at the end of the day, it's going to allow us to reach our goal of reducing the carbon by 40% of 1990 levels by 2030. And then the dividend and the research money and all this type of stuff, those are, those are the fruits of the tree, but we got to plant the tree first, you know, <laughs> as well. So, yeah. So that sounds very promising. So what's it going to take for SB 775 to be enacted? 27 state senators to, to vote yes. <laughs> and 54 state assembly members to vote, um, Yes, uh, I am. I have been talking to Republicans and reaching out. I'm going to have a meeting next week with the Senate Republican leadership because I um, there are things in the bill that they really like. Uh, again, there are things that that a simple extension of the current program doesn't get a dividend. Just to pick on the dividend uh, element. So the Republicans like the dividend. I mean, the Republican. Fundamentally, they like the dividend. They want to. They would prefer if we're going to have cap and trade to have no regulations. Right. That's mm-hmm. the, that's sort of the George Schultz, Jim Baker uh, view. So, um, I'm trying to find out that magic balance. As I is, if I change one element that's that's there, you get. The environmental groups. I mean, remember, we're talking about the environmental groups, environmental justice groups climate uh, um, uh, folks with the oil industries, the utilities and all that. So there's a delicate balance that right now nobody's walking out. They understand how it works. And then they all want to move this way to get something better for themselves or move the other way to take something away from um, the folks. So I want to engage the Republicans um, to find out uh, how to protect the dividend because you only protect it with SB 775, and then what are their, I guess I would say, off-ramps? What would be, what circumstance would have to occur? For instance, let's say we're on target to meet our 2030 um, goals, but uh, Bay Area Air Quality Board wants to make some changes to one of the Chevron. So I would guess, I'm not putting words in their mouth, but I would guess that they would say, hold off on that because we're on target to meet our goals. Um, Local community, the uh, you know the people around the, the uh, place, uh, the refineries say, well, but this is not greenhouse gases. This is other particulates. This is having bad health effects on us. Um, and so, coming up with the magic balance of when can you do direct control? When when do you have to take a pause? There's there's something there. There's a there's a middle ground. I don't know what it is because on the other hand, I would say, ah, let's say that this magic price collar that I have is the price is going up, we're not going to make our goals. So wouldn't that be an opportunity that you would want to say, let the direct regulators go in the dirtiest of the dirty and make them make a change, right? You know, there's, you got that. The thing that's working for us is that, you know, the, when you look at greenhouse gas emissions, we're focusing on stationary sources is still mobile sources. It's still us, you and I driving our cars and, I think the number is 25% of the cars create 75% of the pollution. Most of the new cars now, even a gasoline Honda Civic, is 
is clean, clean, dancing machine versus <laughs> versus a, a 15-year-old car or a Dodge pickup truck that's 15 years old is polluting. And, and one of the magical things that's not and spelled out here is that as the price rises and we give people a dividend, the consumer is going to make the, the, the choice and say, you know, I like my pickup truck because I got a... a a ranch, they don't have ranches, farm, <laughs> plot of land, whatever they got, you know, whatever they got. But I drive, you know, I drive from Modesto into Fremont, um, California, uh, every day. One, I just get this bolt that's electric and I can charge it over here. So my back and forth, back and forth is there. And on the, when I'm a weekend rancher or weekend warrior, mm-hmm. I can get in my pickup truck and have my cultural experience, but it's not my everyday choice uh, choice and that's that's those are the changes that will occur in the next decade that will assist us to get there. All right. Well, those were all the questions we had. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I think uh, I'm. Besides the Republican leadership, I'm obviously talking with the, uh, the Senate leadership and the Assembly and trying to fashion um, uh, using the architecture of SB seven seven five pathway of how we get. Uh, to a program what we all can feel proud of and and California can maintain that mantle of leadership in climate policy and equity um, with a new uh, program like a climate dividend that actually helps out the residents that are here. All right, Senator Wykowski, thank you so much for joining us on the Basic Income Podcast. So this is a big deal. We've generally thought about any sort of universal income program being years away but we may actually be on the verge of passing something here in California. And as we talked about with the senator, California is a trailblazer here. It does set a model for both other states and even other countries to follow. So if we can make a big policy change here in establishing a universal dividend fund, we may be setting up a trail of dominoes that could fall all across the country. That's really true. And Senator Wykowski didn't want to speculate on, on that possibility down the road. Once you've set up the fund, you've laid the foundation, you've established the logistics for getting cash transfers to every citizen. And if the cash dividends are popular, and there's every reason to think that they would be, we can look at increasing them through other sources of revenue. And instead of a couple hundred dollars per year, maybe eventually that could grow into a couple hundred dollars per month. And as we mentioned at the start of the episode, we think that there is an opportunity right now for the basic income community to really engage in this immediate policy fight. And we actually have a specific way for you to do that. If you go online and go to the website universalincome.org petition, there's going to be a page where you can add your name in support of creating a universal dividend fund in the state of California. As the senator said, there's a lot of support here, but nothing is certain in politics. There are a lot of different forces tugging in different directions. The more support we can give to this bill, the more likely this will actually happen. So one more time, that's universalincome.org slash petition. So please sign up. This has been another episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you very much to our producer, Eric Davison. If you like what you hear, please make sure to rate and review us on the podcast service of your choice. And also to let your friends know, we are always trying to reach new people to get new people to hear about, think about, and hopefully support the idea of basic income. We'll talk to you next time.